Welcome to the Prospering Soul Podcast. This limited series is all about how to take care of your soul and how to make sure you understand the ways to be healthy and balanced in life. In this series, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, sits down to explain one of the most important secrets of his own spiritual growth and a detailed explanation of how people change. Thank you for joining us again. This is Pastor John Metter, and uh, we're walking through a series that I call The Prospering Soul. It's been something that's been uh, life-altering for me over the last uh, 40 years of my life. And about 35 years ago, I began to put it down on paper, and uh, at some point, it'll be a book, I'm sure. But this is all about some of the secrets of how uh, we grow spiritually, some secrets about how we change, how life changes and how we change uh, for the better, of course. Some people struggle with change. They just don't know how to change what they are. Uh, and they don't really think about the fact that they've gone into uh, many years of life and the, the pressure of the way they've lived or the impact of circumstances on them or how they think has just uh, kind of kept them on a certain track of behavior. So when it comes time to change that behavior and change that way of thinking, they don't know how to do that. So the prospering soul is all about that. Um, it's all about how to change, how to how to change for the better. And we've looked at the process of change. We looked at one of the Bible verses uh, in um, Third John, which says, "I pray that you might prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers." It's with that idea that we talk about the prospering soul. Now, immediately preceding this particular podcast, uh, we talked about three keys that help us progress in our spiritual growth, in our, uh, the way we think with our mind and the way we feel with our emotions and the way we act with our will. And uh, those three things are this, just to summarize. Um, if we fail to measure our soul with the truth of God's Word, then we really don't know where we stand. We really don't know who we are. Uh, we don't know where we're headed. And so we're kind of rudderless without the truth of God's Word. So we have to measure the soul. Secondly, you have to feed the soul. In other words, you have to spend time in God's Word. And I, I shared a story of reading a proverb a day for more than 40 years now, and it's been such a, a huge thing for me. Of course, I read the Bible in a variety of other ways, but at the very, very least, get into God's Word every day and feed your soul. Otherwise, your mind is going to be preoccupied by so many thoughts, by social media, by uh, multimedia, by all these different things that are going on, and not influenced by the truth of God's Word. So feed the soul. And then thirdly, we said that another key was to protect the soul with sound doctrine. If we believe in error, we will live in error. So make sure we believe the right things, the truth, uh, and that allows us to walk in the truth. So this is the struggle that we've been talking about, and uh, I want to continue with that and talk with you a little bit more about how to be able to overcome everything in life and bring change to your life in a good way. And today I'm going to talk about some dangers of the soul. You know, you're, you're really engaged in a struggle, and that struggle is literally for your soul. What you think, uh, what you want, and a struggle with, for what you feel. On every side of that warfare, you're being tempted to think false things or to feel false things, and you're being tempted to walk by what you feel, or by what you think instead of by faith in truth and by faith in God. 
And when we deal with focusing on the soul and learn that the soul literally has many enemies, it becomes extremely important to learn to defend ourselves against the enemies of the soul. I remember my dad, uh, when I was a little boy, taught me how to box. And he did that because he wanted me to defend myself whenever I needed to. It was a precaution. It was a protection for me. But still, it, it taught me. Uh, something about defending myself, and that's what I want to do spiritually speaking uh, to you. And uh, so this whole idea of taking precautions about your soul, it's very, very important for us uh, to have spiritual growth. So let's talk about the first one. First of all, the danger number one, unnecessary temptations, unnecessary temptations. You know, when when you stay in a time of temptation, And by temptation, I mean any kind of attraction that moves you away from what you ought to be thinking or feeling or how you ought to be acting. Anything that draws you away from that, you're out of God's will. It's not not disobedient to be tempted. It's, It's being disobedient to remain in temptation. So when you stay in a time of temptation, you're really assaulting your own soul. I'll say it like this. You can abide in temptations or you can abide in Christ, but you can't do both. And if you do not immediately confront that temptation and deal with it, you're going to find yourself walking further and further away from truth and further and further away from God and therefore away from the power of God. So when we face temptation, we need to deal with it immediately. And I want to share with you uh, some of the things that, um, that make us more aware of temptation that comes into our lives and uh, why we don't have to deal with unnecessary temptations. You know, one of the most uh, helpful illustrations to me over the years has been something called the umbrella of authority. Now, as soon as I say that phrase, I know there will be some that are familiar with the phrase and uh, who taught this phrase years ago. And uh, maybe you'll be a little bit disenchanted with what I'm saying here, but the umbrella of authority I have found to be a great principle to live by. And the whole principle of the umbrella of authority is that God has placed us under certain kinds of authorities in our lives, and they're designed to protect us. For example, in Romans 13, the Bible teaches about uh, how we're to be subject to governing authorities. And the passage in the Bible in Romans 13, 1 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God, and authorities that exist are appointed by God. And that whole passage begins to talk about how they protect us Uh, when we surrender or submit to them in in a positive way. Whenever authorities are placed over us, God uses those in protection. Let me give you some examples. It's not just uh, governing authorities, but also the authority of family roles. For example, um, God gives us a clear picture of uh, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, a mother and a father, leading their children to grow and to be protected and be nurtured all during their younger days. And when parents give direction, when you get out from under that direction, you're really exposed to authority that you don't really need to be dealing with. Every time you step out from under the umbrella of protection, we're going to really uh, be tempted in certain ways, exposed to temptations which we need not be exposed. I remember when I was 13 years old, my, my dad helped me get a mini bike for my birthday. I remember it as clear as, as it was yesterday. It was a it was a Honda Trail 70. And that little mini bike uh, would go about 50 or 60 miles an hour. It had the smaller, stubbier tires. It was more of a trail bike, uh, not a motocross 
motorcycle, but more of a trail bike. And uh, he told me, you know, you can ride this bike, this uh, little scooter, this little uh, trail bike, from school to the football field for track practice. It was in the spring, but don't take it down on the track. Now, in the small town I grew up in, you did not have to have a driver's license to drive a mini bike. It was just part of the law there in, in town. They gave you freedom to do it. Uh, but I did have a command from my father to not get on the track itself. Now, I don't know what went into that command. I don't know why he wanted me to do that. But when I got down to the football field, all my friends um, egged me on and said, no, take it around the track once. Let us see you go around the track. And for some reason, I listened to them instead of my father. And I got to the first turn, and I hit a, a pit of sand, and the bike flipped, and I was thrown into the side of a wall uh, near that track and broke my collarbone. My clavicle just snapped right in two. And uh, it was just a, uh, an incredibly tragic little accident that was needless because I immediately got out from under authority of my dad. He was giving me some wise instruction who didn't want me to be tempted to do things I wouldn't otherwise do. And, uh, and I learned a lesson. Six weeks later, uh, I still was not back on that mini bike because my shoulder was healing after surgery and so forth. Well, I guess for me, that was kind of a vivid reminder of how important that lesson is. And I learned that it was really a lesson. Ultimately, God was teaching me. Do you remember what happened in the very first book of the Bible when God told Adam and Eve uh, they could touch any of the trees of the garden except one? And of course, that's the one they wanted to touch. And the serpent uh, tempted Eve, and Adam followed that temptation, and they sinned. And as a result of that, they got outside from under God's umbrella of protection, and sin entered into their lives and into mankind as well. So it's pretty obvious that uh, authority protects us from unnecessary temptations. Uh, in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, there's a great passage that says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct, uh, follow them. It also says, Obey those who rule over you. Be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now, I, I am very aware of how people today don't really like to be under any kind of a spiritual authority or even any kind of hint of it. But I'm also very aware that the Scripture says it's there for our good. All the commands that God gives us are for us even the commands that prohibit us from certain things. When we get out from under those kinds of things, then we are going to face temptation that we don't have to face. One of the greatest things that other believers offer followers of Christ is that accountability and, and that, um, that questioning mindset that says, we don't want you to fall, we want you to succeed. So give us an account of your life in some way. It's great to have brothers and sisters who watch us and who encourage us. At work, it's the same way. You ever find yourself wanting to go against someone who's an authority over you at work? Maybe you seem to get the bad end of a deal, that your boss may be wrong about something. But when you get out from under that authority, then you have some bad things happen to you. Sometimes people lose their jobs as a result of that. It's just an illustration to help us understand there's no need to be in unnecessary temptation. And God has given us so many ways for us to remain under authority in a good way. It might surprise you that uh, whenever I came to Crossroads in ministry, where I was having vocational choices, 
a church would be calling me from where I was presently ministering, and they would ask me to pray about a th- about coming and visit with them about a new role in a new church. And I always paused and called my father when my father was alive. And the reason I did that is because I wanted his counsel. It's not that I would uh, listen to him without reservation, but it means that I would listen to his wisdom and what I, what I felt, felt like God might be telling him about this potential opportunity. And not only did I call him, I called seven other men that I knew and asked them for their counsel. And the reason I sought counsel is because I didn't want to put myself in unnecessary temptation. Maybe the temptation of ambition, wanting to be someplace I didn't need to be or do something I didn't need to do. And I've just learned in life that you don't need to be in unnecessary temptation. It's critical to understand that God has placed authority over us to keep us from temptation that we can't handle. You need to teach your children that when they get out from under your authority, that they're going to fall, and they're going to fall hard sometimes. And don't just discipline them for doing wrong. Teach them that the reason it happened is because they weren't listening to wisdom and experience that you give them. By the way, if you look at the highway accidents in America, very few accidents take place on highways where people are under authority. Most accidents happen because people are out from under authority. Either they're driving too fast, they miss the stop sign, they don't stop at the stoplight, they're drunk, or they're driving illegally. It's just a vivid illustration that you don't need to be in unnecessary temptation. Protect your soul from unnecessary temptation. Look to get under authority and stay there. Well, here's danger number two. Danger number two is unchecked desires. Unchecked desires. And anytime I'm talking about a desire, I usually am also talking about a body desire. So an unchecked body desire is dangerous for your soul. And if you ask the question, what is an unchecked desire? Let me just kind of give you a little synopsis of a book written by a man named John Bunyan. He wrote an ancient book called Pilgrim's Progress. Actually, he was in prison in England when he wrote this book. It's called The Holy War. It's a phenomenal book, but it's a description of the war of the soul. And the castle in this book is called Mansoul. And the enemy of Mansoul comes against the castle either through the eye gate, the mouth gate, or the ear gate. You get the idea? He lays this war out in such a way as to help us understand how the enemy comes against our souls. And that's what an unchecked body desire does, basically. We're exposed to dangerous situations that we allow through those open areas of our lives, the ear gate, something we hear, the eye gate, something we see, the mouth gate, something that we want to taste, to touch. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter implores the believers. He said, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. And uh, over, the, over time, I've looked at these different apostles as they come to the place of literally begging and pleading with the church to do something. And you've got to know that's a pretty critical time. So basically, he says, avoid at all costs fleshly lust. Now, what does that mean? Well, usually it means sexual perversion, although not exclusively so. It can include that. But a fleshly lust is any strong drawing or desire of your body to cause you to obey its wants instead of God's wants. And unchecked body desires can be things like eating, uh, drinking, smoking, watching the wrong kinds of uh, uh, images, video, 
uh, the wrong kind of music, the different ways that garbage and evil gets into our lives. It could be false ambition or vain ambition, self-ambition. It could be an appetite of some kind. It could be the desire to have attention directed your way. Just so many different ways. And a lack of discipline, a lack of moderation about the way we think or the way we think that we want uh, really begin to eat away at our soul. And we begin to compromise. And by the way, I've learned over the years a great principle that's helpful to remember. Compromise breeds compromise. If you do not learn the discipline of saying no to your body, then you will soon find that you have a war, not on one front, but on all fronts. It's really, really important to learn to discipline yourselves. Now, let me give you a little illustration about that. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys that loves eating, and I'm sure most of us can identify with that. Uh, if you put the right kind of food in front of me, I can eat a lot of food. I can eat more than anybody else, I think. I can eat a lot. I can remember when I was in college, we had uh, a Bible study, and there were five of us, and we all happened to like shrimp. And there was a place called Catfish Cabin not far from us. And on Friday nights, you could go eat all the shrimp you wanted for $5.99. Now, that may date me. That's a long time ago. Well, we were real spiritual guys. We had a Bible study, and then we went to Catfish Cabin and averaged about 75 shrimp each time that we went on those Friday nights. And I can remember several of us getting sick on the way home. We just ate so much. Uh, you could think that you're really right with God and that you're doing really well and then go out and blow all the discipline out, out of the window and it begins to wreck your soul. Now, that's just obviously a humorous illustration, but it can happen in other areas that are far more devastating than overeating. For instance, we can play games with sexual temptation and before long we're in it over our heads. We can flirt with someone that um, we don't really intend to go further with, and then it gets out of hand again in a different way. We can see images that we don't intend to dwell on, but after a while, it just begins to really break down our defenses. We can tell a lie, and once we tell one, we add another to that and another to that. And the important thing for us to understand here is that discipline helps us resist these unnecessary temptations and uh, it helps us to be able to resist this dwelling on a temptation that's in front of us or a desire that's in front of us. Uh, in the past, I've used running to discipline my, my body, and it really disciplines my uh, soul as well. And sometimes I've used fasting to demonstrate uh, the discipline for my own soul. And they're very similar in some ways. You know, running is a constant process. You've got to endure to keep running. You've got to say no to your body in order to keep putting one foot in front of the other. I remember training for a marathon, and I remember my body would lie to me. It would tell me that, that I was about to die, and I had to persevere through it all. And it helped me in my discipline to persevere. And fasting takes place like that in my life. And I had to find a way to have victory over a constant battle with my mind. You know, the enemy always wants to get in through the eye gate, the mouth gate, the ear gate, what we see, what we hear, what we watch. And eventually those unchecked body desires will turn from a relatively innocent pursuit to those that are more and more dangerous as we give in to certain areas with that lack of discipline and we're susceptible to things that we never thought we would be susceptible to. When I hear stories of people that have uh, taken massive steps of immorality, lost their marriages, lost their families. I'm very aware that those decisions were not made in just one moment. 
It was a gradual progression of allowing oneself to be tempted, remaining in temptation. It was a gradual process of compromise after compromise until one day they took a dive into the deep end. And that's what happens. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, But I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. So literally, Paul said, I do whatever I have to do to make my body obey what I know is right. Uh, In Hebrews 4, we're reminded that the Bible tells us that we've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And I know that sounds very serious. But the bottom line on it all is that we need to be able to resist the temptations that are in front of us. Because if we don't, then they're going to begin to eat away at our soul. Then there's danger number three, exposure to evil surroundings. Now, I'm going to make an application here on this one that, that most of us are not going to like. I'm going to get specific, uh, not as specific as I could be, but uh, I think you'll figure out why uh, I'm moving this way for just a moment because we live in a culture of, of sexual immorality, and it's getting wilder by the day. In Second Peter chapter 2, we have a reminder of what happened back in the Old Testament. Notice what it says about the word soul as I read this. It said, In turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, it condemned them to destruction, making them an example to all those who would afterward live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So it doesn't take a lot of background study to realize this passage deals with Lot. And he chose to go in the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah when Abraham went the other way. So Lot was in those cities. And the Bible says Lot was righteous, but he lived in a city full of sexually immoral people. And so when he's in that environment, in those evil surroundings, and walking in those evil surroundings, the Bible says it tormented his soul day by day. If he don't, it, it, the reality is if we don't build up protection around us, we look at something that is sexually immoral and begin to see it as normal. And the more we see it as normal, the more we justify that and the more we explain it away and the less we realize how dangerous it really is. And that little passage of Scripture tells us a great deal about how to take a good stand for yourself in terms of who your comrades are, who is around you. And here's the deal. Our heart is a very sensitive thing. The soul, the mind, will, and emotions is very sensitive. If you expose yourself and your soul to certain kinds of illicit, immoral, ungodly things and let it go without dealing with it, the next time it will really begin to put another blinder in your heart and another and another. And basically what happens is you begin to build up a callous heart and a callous conscience where you're no longer able to discern right from wrong or good from evil. Years ago, there was a little boy that came in uh, off the parking lot. He'd been playing in the parking lot of the church and came in to get a drink of water. And um, I happened to see this kid play in the parking lot quite a bit and realized he was kind of a rambunctious kid, about 10 or 11 years old. And um, whenever he uh, went to get a drink of water, I happened to be walking by the hallway and I kind of put my hand on his shoulder to say hello. And he turned around and swung at me. I mean, he swung with all his might trying to hit me. All I was doing was saying hi, but he was swinging. It was just his response. And I learned later on he'd grown up in a very violent family, 
He was a violent kid. He was exposed to it all the time. And his very first response to, uh, to a pastor tapping him on the shoulder and saying hello to him was to take a swing at him. And I use that illustration to say that what we expose ourselves to over and over and over becomes our first response instead of a last response. It's what we do first instead of being able to think through and curtail that direction. And it's really, really important for us to understand how evil surroundings really affect us in that way. So just think this morning. You need to really think about what you want to be in terms of being right with the Lord, right in the way you think. Do you want to go all the way with Him or not? Do you want to straddle the fence or do you want to be wholeheartedly in tune with God? You remember the whole premise of the series is that we're dealing with a soul and we're dealing with the sensitivity to the Spirit of God who's sending out that signal, who's leading us in a certain way. And you cannot be in tune with Him in the world at the same time. You're going to have to choose. If you expose yourself to evil surroundings, you're in a very dangerous situation regarding your soul. Now, there's some uh, other passages that deal with this in the way of church discipline in the Bible um, that, that tell us that we're to kind of take a step back from those who claim to be believers and yet live lives of immorality. But I guess the most important thing that I want to convey to you is that there's a reason why the church is to call sin, sin. And that is so that we can recognize it and so that we can stay away from that sinful erosion of our spirit and our soul that keep us from being more and more like Christ. Well, there's one more danger I want to give you, and that's the danger of physical weariness and busyness. It's a little bit different from the other two, but it's a really, really important thing. There's a great book called The Screwtape Letters, and in The Screwtape Letters, we, uh, we read where uh, a demon is writing to Wormwood. And um, the whole idea of this book is that there's an enemy that wages war against our soul, which is what we've been talking about. And uh, he writes about rough periods of a person's life. He said this. He said, in the first place, I found that the trough periods, the rough periods, the low periods of human life provide excellent opportunity for all sensual temptations. This may surprise you because, of course, there is more physical energy and more potential appetite at the peak periods. But you must remember that the powers of resistance are then also at their highest. The help and the spirits which you want to use in producing lust also can be very easily used for work or play or anything else. The attack has a much better chance for success when the man's whole inner world is drab and cold and empty. It's also to be noted that in the trough, sexuality is suddenly different in quality from that in the peak much less likely to lead to the milk and water phenomena which humans call being in love, much more easily drawn into perversions, much less contaminated by those generous and imaginative, imaginative and even spiritual non-committants which often render human sexuality so disappointed. It's the same with all the desires of the flesh. You're much more likely to make your man a sound drunkard by pressing drink on him when he is dull and weary than by encouraging him to use it when he's happy among his friends. Never forget that we are dealing with any pleasure in its normal and healthy and satisfying form. We are, in a sense, the enemies and on the enemy ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it's his invention, that is God's invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce even one. All we can do is encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy, again, that's God, has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. 
He goes on to say, attack the enemy when he's tired. Okay, so let me just phrase this in a way that, that will be clear. Satan attacks you when you're tired, when you're weary, when you're worn out, and when you're busy and overloaded. I know this. I know I'm more greatly tempted with thoughts when I'm tired and when I'm weary and when things may not be going so well. There's a great story in the Old Testament about the prophet Elijah. I mean, he had an incredible victory on Mount Carmel. I've written about this in my book, God's Not Done With You. And a chapter on the book of Elijah was to be a riveting chapter. He was on cloud nine, great victory. And the very next day, he's in the valley. And he's so depressed and he's so worn out. He's threatened by a woman named Jezebel. And he ends up saying, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father." So in his soul, he's begun to lose, even though he's just had this tremendous victory. And if you look at this passage, you'll find out he was weary from running, from lack of food, from lack of water, just flat, worn out. He's gone into the desert uh, or into the wilderness about a day's journey without his servant. And he's all alone, and he's beaten up, and he's about ready to give up. Now, I I share the life of Elijah with you to remind you of what I call a great spiritual principle that was given to me a few years ago. And here's what it is. If you are hungry, if you're angry, if you are lonely, if you are tired, it's time to stop. Make no decisions. Just rest. Find your margins. Take some time to take care of yourself before you move on. Now, let me give you four words again. These four words form an acrostic that spell HALT, H-A-L-T. If you're hungry, if you're angry, if you're lonely, if you're tired, HALT. Just HALT. And I love the idea that when I can recognize those qualities going on in my life, then I can stop and I can rest and I can reset my life a little bit because I'm going to be under great temptation if I don't do so. So we've covered uh, four key uh, threats to your spiritual life in this session. We'll continue on in the next one, but keep in mind, if you're hungry, if you're angry, if you're lonely, if you're tired, it's important to slow down. It's important for you to call out to God and say, Lord, help me. If you're facing temptations that uh, you're not dealing with, it's really important not to remain in that place of temptation. Don't keep thinking those thoughts. Replace them with the truth of Scripture, which we'll talk about how to do in these next few series, uh, these next few sessions of Prospering Soul. But my prayer for you is that you'll endure with us, you'll walk with us, have some discipline in going through this Prospering Soul series. Sometimes people have found it helpful to watch and listen to more than one of these series more than one time because the more you hear it, the more you're able to understand what it means to have a prospering soul and to deal with the enemies of the soul. So until next time, this is John Matter. Hopefully, we'll have you tune in again. Thank you.